0: Welcome back to The Change Position. I am Melissa Cady, the Challenge Doctor with my co-host from the West Coast, Dr. Kevin Kikaro, And we are here to bring you an episode on actually something Kevin brought up. Um, so I'll probably just dish it off to him to get it started, but health <laughs> span versus- me. Yeah, <laughs> what'd I say? What did you dish
1: say? it off, dish it oh, off.
0: Dish it off. I mean, is, that I a, is that a, off? like a
1: Texas thing? D- dish, Dish it off, like you just like- Give the dish what, off.
0: What did I say?
1: You said dish it off. I have never okay. heard that before. Really? I mean, yeah. Is that I, I mean, is that like a I local thing? Just
0: it's probably a katieism. I probably just made it up. I don't know. Um, dish it off. I don't know.
1: It says it's a pass the ball to a teammate, especially in basketball.
0: Uh, that's probably because I play sports.
1: <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Dish anyway. it off,
0: like throw it off to a player, I guess. But anyway, yeah. we're. We're talking about health span versus lifespan. Why don't you uh, elaborate for the listeners?
1: Sure. Um, so, health span versus lifespan, the way this kind of popped in my head, it, it's something I think about a lot because in my family, we're weird. Like, not my, well, even in my immediate family, but growing up, my, uh, uh, one of the favorite pastimes of my mom and my aunt was to literally go to graveyards, like, hmm. and and read the obituaries, like, Oh, look who, who died, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we were never one of those, those families that didn't talk about death. Um, yeah. And the so I, and I kind of have a healthy respect for it in a recognition that death is part of life. And I think we've forgotten that a lot. And we've I think we've talked either in some of the Saturday salutations about this idea of we live and then we're going to die. And then if you don't think you're going to die or at least don't mention that you're going to die or at least don't talk about what you're going to die, you, you kind of run into these problems. And then the other part about that is this this idea between health span and lifespan because um, most people think, oh, yeah, I want to live live forever or, you know, I want to push, push death away. But not dying is not necessarily the same thing as actually living. So this popped back in my brain because Big Think which is um, I like Big Think. They're I don't know exactly what they are. <laughs> like they have YouTube videos and they have like a blog and they basically have these different categories and then they'll bring in a bunch of people and they'll do like short form essays on specific topics and they cover some health and philosophy and space and stuff like that. This one and so this one came in the email box was literally Health span versus lifespan a much more longer form discussion on this and then they were actually quoting a Swedish study so that obviously gives me like all right we got some data to back this up and that's yeah. and big thing is pretty data-driven at least where the people that they're talking about they're usually talking about studies and it's not just off the cuff so this was a study out of Sweden and they were looking at the variation in um end-of-life care so um or I should say the traject- trajectories and end of life for peace in persons age 70 years or older. And, and this was for two years between 2018 and 2020. And it was in Sweden. And a couple of things that I thought was interesting about this is number one, we know this is a um, a place that's got uh, um, socialized or nationalized healthcare. Now, some people would think that is a, 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 a con. I think it's a pro because then we're sort of taking this picture of whether or not you have healthcare or not out of the picture, um, and then they kind of where well, well, people are living longer. But what types of lives are they are they actually living? Mm-hmm. And the the long story short about it is, yeah, people are living longer, maybe two or three years longer or four years longer. But what we've now done then is we've sort of changed the trajectory of how we die. So now people are not, they may be living longer, but their actual health span isn't changing that much. Mm -hmm. And so those final years then are living in places where you're either assisted living or skilled nursing facilities. Maybe you've got, you know, you're being essentially being taken care of. And I'm not, um, it, it, there's a, there's some ethical dilemma in there, but when you think about yourself as an individual and you kind of project how it is that you're going or want to die, because again, I'm going to reiterate this. We are all going to die. Like until something changes and maybe that's going to change. We need to be con- you know, kind of confronting this, this thing is, well, how, how is it that you, that you want to die? And I don't necessarily having seen you know, in medicine, we're involved with people with this sort of long, kind of drown out process, where um, it's like, well, what you know, what exactly are we doing here? I'm not necessarily sure I want to be in those situations where I'm a a fully dependent state where I have people taking care of me all the time. Right. Um, that doesn't that you know, it, current me, maybe future me will see this differently. And I doubt it because I have a really strong sense of personal agency. Um, but what, what, you know, what, what are we doing here yeah. <laughs> you know, is, is, is the case. And I, and I, and I, I bring this up is because at some point you need to kind of think about, okay, well, what are my goals for a living? And, um, and that comes down to this idea again of, of health span, health span being the span of life that you are healthy, living independently, doing the things that you that you want to do and you are in control of. Versus lifespan, which is a really simple sort of, um, I mean, that's a simple number to see. It's just how long you've actually lived between birth and death. And um, I don't know. so when we see these numbers that a treatment is, is you know, people are living one year longer, or life expectancy have risen by 1.2 years. The, the, the consideration with that, well, what is that 1.2 years? Or what is that two years that we're gaining? from whatever that intervention is are we just keeping a heart beating are we keeping a brain perfused or are we keeping a body living and doing and enjoying the life that it wants to live um so it kind of kind of hit home for me because again i don't think we i don't think we talk about this enough of how it is that we want to live and then well when is it time for us to pass or how is it that we want to pass? And I'm not, I'm not talking about eugenics and I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily just, you know, people just dying after the age of 75, but, but really recognizing at what point would you start per changing the way that you approach your own healthcare, such as, you know, if you are, um, if you are heavily demented uh, and you are in an assisted living criteria, uh, uh, place, well, what kind of treatment are you going to do? Are you going to, if you get a infection or an ospitorial respiratory virus or possibly a bacterial infection, do you or do you not treat with antibiotics? Because we're again, we're going to die of something. And what is it that we're going to die from? Mm-hmm. hundred years ago, we would die from infectious causes generally. But we can prolong that now by giving people antibiotics in these certain situations to prolong life but are we actually prolonging health? Um, I don't know. So, what are your kind of takes on that again? Because I, I have a very skewed view, I think, when it comes yeah. to living and death. I I sometimes wonder. If, well, oftentimes I wonder, if, am I from another planet here? <laughs> Just, no, <laughs> things seem to I, make real sense to me, and then I'm like,
0: we do things so weird. Like, what are we doing? Well, I, uh, well, first of all, I think there's a couple different angles for our listeners. Like, are you it, are they considering the people they're caring for as physicians or um or any other kind of caretaker? Um, you know, are you thinking about yourself and how this perspective or framing makes you reconsider, okay, um, how I'm living now and my beliefs about what I'm comfortable with later in life do should I change how I'm living? to enable a better healthy life, um, you know, and I, I do think there's some like um, these ethical questions, uh, you know, all these things, I, I think you can you could slice it in a lot of different ways, but, you know, we, we mentioned like, if someone has to take care of us all the time, like, can we live with that? But there is a small percentage of the population that comes out of the womb that way, or something happens to them at a young age, and they rely on other people caring for them all the time. And I guess the question is, do you have your mind? Do you find meaning, you know, in your life? And does your existence feel like it's either contributing or you feel like you're enjoying the life you have? Like, I guess that's the question. Um, there are people that are, you know, handicapped from the very beginning. So I guess that kind of frames things a little differently
1: well and and you're and you're talking about a fully cognizant brain i mean that's that's yes. that's the other thing and and i and that is a a really good point because um there are injuries that people have mm-hmm. that they can live very fully and then and um when you actually modified. study people's a modified life is it, what <laughs> how's the wrestle is this because current us have very difficult times projecting what future us. Are going to experience or feel or want, um, and there's a bunch of studies from that. And one of my favorite books, "Stumbling Bong Happiness" by uh, Dan Gilbert, who's a psychologist at Harvard, really goes into detail about this. We 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 basically we think future future us are going to be feeling and thinking and doing what what current us is, and that's not the case. So you really have to ask people in that that um, at that state. And what they found is people have had really horrendous injuries, you know, transected spinal cords, etc they tend to live and be happier than most people think that they should be like what we project onto them. Well, I don't want this. Um, And I, 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 so I get, I think, I think the biggest thing for me is um, is really my brain. Like if my brain is working in such a way that I can process information, do the things I want to do and, um, I don't know, be in a sense of control in some way, shape or form. That's, that's the biggest thing for me.
0: Yeah.
1: But um, I do think having to, to think realistically about what the goal is. So if, you know, if you're 85, another case in point, when I was doing my cardiac ICU rotation and residency, we, um, I took care of a guy who was, I think, 90. And they decided to do this. So this is before they were doing um, tavers and everything. So they, all the valve replacements were open and usually circa case. Well, they were all circarest cases. And someone, this guy was like 90, 90 something years old. He was a farmer and uh, had aortic stenosis. Now, aortic stenosis, as we know, at least back then, and I think the data is still somewhat correct, is if you have aortic stenosis and eventually it starts getting to a critical aortic stenosis. So there's a valve in your heart. It's the aortic valve. Pumps the the, um, um, the blood out into the rest of your body, or it's, it's the it's the it's involved with that. And as it gets tighter and tighter and tighter, it squeezes you know squeezing and squeezing and squeezing, and you have to shoot more blood through a little tiny hole, and it puts a lot of volume overload, a lot of overload on heart. And once you start developing symptoms, you, and I still think this is correct, uh, once you have symptoms, it's usually two year mortality. You're going to die. Now, I don't remember if he was actually having symptoms yet, but he must have had something that drove them to do the echo that showed critical aortic stenosis. And someone talked him into doing the surgery. Again, he was 90, 90 plus years old. Well, lo and behold, um, a 90-year-old, despite being a farmer, when you're having a big operation like this where they're basically flipping, you know, cutting open your chest, laying it open, pulling you out, putting on, putting you on surcarest, which means they stop the blood flow to your brain to replace a valve. Um, it was really hard to recover from, and he had a multiple, multiple, multiple complications throughout the ICU stay. And then, ultimately, the family decided to to pull um, care. Mm-hmm. And I, I I distinctly remember going, "Well, what were we doing with this? You have a ninety plus year old guy that you're doing a pretty aggressive surgery on. No that, what yeah, he's going to die in two years.
0: Yeah,
1: but we killed him in two months. Yeah, so." Why were, where was this discussion taking place? It's, and, and, it's, yeah. and for, for individuals out there, it's, you know, they're, it becomes, it becomes very, very difficult because this, we took this really healthy guy and then he could have, he, he, he could have had a sudden death. I'm trying to remember if you have stenosis, slowly you start getting congestive heart failure, but eventually there's an, an, an angina
0: stroke. Heart yeah, you get,
1: And then you're going to die you know, an arrhythmia or fatal arrhythmia is going to happen. And it's going to be gone.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, but he could have had a year or two years, who knows, of living the life that he wanted to live despite the medical intervention. And um, I, I, just, I just really think about that a lot because then just, sometimes when you have somebody and then they're like, well, okay, uh, well, what are we, you know, what is the goal of care? like we're struggling this with my family right now where we have a member who's got um pretty bad dementia and this end of life and i just keep trying to return to this well what is the goals Mm -hmm. you know if they say don't they don't want to eat why would we force them to eat right if um they're not thirsty why would be forcing them to be to drink and um but you know, part of it is 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 family dynamics. And I understand there's when you're when you're in the process of dying, there's two people that are involved there are multiple people. There's the person who's dying, and then there's the family members. and some of the times we're treating the family or sometimes the family is recommending things that are treating them that, that you know, the family member. Um, but it's it, it becomes a really hard decision. I, I just I, I just think about, well, what am I going to do mm-hmm. when I'm that old? So to kind of bring this in, there's a, um, do you remember Ezekiel Emanuel? <laughs> this was, this got a lot of press spell ten, It was actually almost 10 years ago in 2014. He wrote, I think it was a New York Times. No, it was in the Atlantic. He wrote an article. Why hope to die at 75. Oh, and he's a, um, he's one of the three Emanuel brothers who were like these super high performing guys One, you know, Ezekiel is a doctor and then, um, Rom was the mm-hmm. politician and then the other guy, some, something else but Ezekiel Emanuel wrote this thing and it was, Oh my God, how dare you say that? You know, I'm going to die at 75. And you're going to, he said, I'm not going to do any life prolonging therapy after the age of 75 people were like freaking out you know, how horrible this was and you know, blah, blah, blah. And he is a horrible person and blah, blah. Anyway. So I I, I pulled him up while we we're sitting here. Cause I was like, what did he say? And there's been a follow-up actually just in June um where he's he's now 65 so he's 10 years closer before he was 55 and 20 years they're like well what do you what do you think about this and um he's still sort of the same way basically his he's like well you know there's some outliers that are really really healthy at that age and if i'm an outlier then i'll probably just keep on doing what i'm you know whatever um but if i'm not i'm i'm gonna stick with stick with my guns here and i was like that's a pretty good um I have a lot of respect for that, right? Because you're confronting your mortality, and you're confronting it earlier, and you're sort of pre-making these decisions in such a way uh, that if or when the time comes, you've made a, um, a a a more informed decision versus what we typically do, where we defer, we defer, we defer, we don't want to think about it, and then we have to make choices in very, very um, critical moments. <laughs> Yeah. That may or may not be appropriate. And I and and again, we can do lots and lots and lots of treatment. We don't actually mean that you're gonna be healthier at the end of it. Like we've talked lots of studies about what or you know, what makes people healthy? Eating them eating well, moving well, sleeping well, having relationships and connections well. Yeah. Not the other stuff. Yeah. Um <laughs> and- <laughs> So I'm always getting, so I'm kind of thinking more in like, okay, what's the health span and how do I optimize my health span as compared to looking at what my lifespan would be?
0: Yeah. 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 Because you're, if you can maximize your health span, your lifespan might be longer, but you don't want to just focus on a lifespan. You got to focus on the health span first, if that makes sense.
1: Well, I would say if you're focusing on your health span, no matter what the, whatever that end result is, is going to be good right? Because yeah. you should be healthy.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: rather, yeah. And then, right. but it's still, because you, you could, you could still prolong your lifespan. But as I, as I said, in this particular study, we we're looking at those last three years and this trajectory became, um, how did they say it was? It was The last, really last two to three years is massive, you know, everything increases in medical utilization and uh, we're not necessarily. um,
0: We're reaching for everything.
1: We're reaching for everything. And
0: one other thing I wanted to mention was, you know, I talked about the perspective of being the patient or the person (laughs) that has a lifespan versus it's your patient. And you talked about all the weird dynamics of families that can interfere and, and influence that. Um, but the other element, the layering in, is the, um, the litigious society we live in. And and as a physician, depending on where you stand and or the dynamics of the family can very much influence what you choose to do. And like you said, you sometimes are treating the person that's not dying or not in a bad place. So I think we have to really like self-reflect.
1: Well, I'm going to push back on that a little bit, and what? and the re- because we use that a lot. That it's oh, it's it. We do we use it as an excuse that oh, I'm doing everything because otherwise people are going to sue. And um lawsuits tend to occur when the communications poor.
0: Mm-hmm
1: so uh i the, the 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 if you're if you are not communicating with your patients and having discussions with them and 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 meaningful communication and you do and do and do mm-hmm. my suspicion is that you're still at risk of a lawsuit as compared to having a good conversation with your patients,
0: yeah,
1: you know and that's and um that came from, we had a, I had a great presentation like 20 years ago and um, where they were actually looked at why people, why people sue. And this comes, I wrote, we're doing all this stuff and we do it because if we don't do it, they're going to sue us. And that doesn't seem to be the case. It, it is really, if people are dissatisfied with their care and if there's poor communication is the reason behind it. And, but I think, it, I think for physicians, it becomes easier because instead of having hard conversations, we're making, we just do what we normally would do. And so I don't, I don't want it to have, I, I don't want listeners to go out there and think, well, or a physician out there thinking, well, I'm just going to do it because it's going to prevent from lawsuits. That doesn't seem to be the case. Um,
0: yeah. I'm not saying it's right.
1: Um, no, I know. And I, I know people do it or people, yeah. I should say, people use that reasoning to support that. Right. I would say also, if you aren't getting paid for it, I'm going to put that out there too. If you don't get paid for it, even if you have a risk of lawsuit, people are going to change. The, the behavior is going to change somewhat. They, mm-hmm. You know, So it's not always the fact that people think they're getting sued. It's because they think they can use the excuse if we're going to get sued. And by the way, if I actually do this, we get reimbursed or it's you know an RV generator.
0: Yeah. Um, so why is a 90-year-old somehow... Yeah get insurance if insurance was involved get reimbursed why would they not be like hey this person's 90 here's the evidence
1: (laughs) well and 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 then we we, and and this is there's no so when we're talking about the health system there's no there's no innocent parties here with any of this stuff because people want to abuse and say well it's all the insurance companies they abuse all this stuff well no i mean yeah there's there's insurance companies that are for-profit insurance companies or not-for-profit but actually making huge amounts of profit but they're also supposed to be using data and just because you think you can do something or just because you think that this therapy is going to provide benefit to your patients despite the absence of data that doesn't make it right and there's multiple times when insurances are not um uh you know re- they're 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 what's the word for it <laughs> i'm blanking my brain when they, they refuse. It's like denial. Uh, yeah, and an insurance denial. Um, Yeah, there's outliers like I can't remember the one off the top of my head and they'd probably sue us if we said anything anyway that like deny, deny, deny. But they are supposed to be utilizing actuarial data that says whether or not a therapy is, imp- is appropriate or not. And yet we, you know, we castigate them and say, well, it's the insurance fault because they want to deny this stuff. And I know, I know my 94 year, 95 year old guy with aortic stenosis needs this valve replacement because in my clinical judgment, he's he's a healthy farmer and is going to do everything for him. Don't do that. And if you're doing it, I don't have any, I, I really don't care what your little whining is going to be about, about when you get an insurance denial. Um, huh. Because it, it just, it just, I don't know. It, it, just, it just makes me so mad is because we do have data. Look at the data. We have to actually practice when it comes to data in support of our clinical judgment, not it, because our clinical judgment opposes what the data says, and really recognizing that there, we, we just can't do, 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 do all this stuff. And if you're a patient and you're saying, I want everything done, will it, it, well, what is your goal? Like, what do you think is going to happen with this? What kind of life it is that you want to let, leave? And um, anyway, so that's there again, there's no answers on this. But if everybody starts just thinking a little bit more about, well, how do I want to live as compared to is how it is. Can I push out my not dying? Um, maybe we'll be making a little bit more better decisions. Although again, incentives aren't until the incentives change.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. A very recurring theme in yeah. our conversations. Um well, that's all I had. Is there anything else? I think that was kind of a nice uh, coming to a conclusion or our hopes of what listeners might consider. Anything else you want to add before I take us out?
1: No, other than I'm really not a jerk and I'm not a horrible person and I'm not promoting mm-hmm. pro-death or whatever. I'm really pro-life, like pro, pro-life in the way the living is. Mm-hmm. That's who I am. Yeah. Um, and not dying is not living. Yeah. Sorry, it's just not that way.
0: Well, I think anyone that's been entrenched in the medical field comes to the realization, um, this whole idealistic idea of just continue to live as long as possible is not really um, desirable when you look at the way people live in those last few years.
1: You know, and, and one last comment on that. This is the thing that also drives me crazy is then as, as physicians, we typically say, I would never do this. right? I would never want that done to me. Then but why do- are you doing it to somebody else? I know. Oh, because they want it. Did you ask them? Did you have any real conversations about this? Did you actually explain the details in a way that actually makes sense? Did you actually support the data? Did you provide, you know, um, um, a, a good discussion on this or are we just assuming yeah. because there's a lot of assuming that people do
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, Oh, they want it. Oh, they're if they don't, if I don't do this, they're going to be mad. Well, did you ask? So I don't know. Don't, don't, don't treat other people like you wouldn't want to be at the end of your life, I think is yeah. the other big thing. Yeah. And or, or the other flip side is because it's, well, no, I'm not going to get into to a whole other discussion. So I'll just stop right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think uh, whether it's yourself or your patients um, really consider what do you consider health span versus a lifespan and really take that in consideration on how you're living your life and how you're treating your patients that would be kind of my message as well. And I'm definitely pro really living, not just breathing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for those of you listening, if you don't know what the Change Physician is all about, you can go to thechangephysician.com and join us whether you're a physician or a physician ally. We'd love to see you there. And on occasion, we give some updates to the community. Uh, you never know what the future holds uh, with the Change Physician community. So um, until next time, you all take care.